Good morning. Welcome. I'm kind of welcoming myself. I haven't been here for five weeks. Did you miss me? <laughs> Wait, you didn't notice I was gone. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we are reading uh, from the book of Genesis this morning, chapter 6, reading verses 9 through to 22. And uh, the NIV translation is our choice of translation for this morning. So please follow along or sit back and enjoy the story. Genesis 6, uh, verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long. 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Amen. Morning, everyone. <clears throat> Is that going to work? I don't know. You tell me. I just need to sit down this morning because I'm a little bit lightheaded. That'll do. Thank you. Can you grab that table for me? Can you preach the sermon for me? <laughs> Thank you. Um. I didn't stay up last night for long enough to find the result, but my understanding is the coalition has been returned. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. And I assume that will mean that uh, Bill Shorten will step down from the leader of the Labor Party. Yeah. So there are some changes coming for us politically. That's certainly a surprise, isn't it? I thought the Labor Party would have romped it in. 
<clears throat> Not you. Queensland swung it. Really? Yay, Queensland. <laughs> Sorry, I don't think I meant that. State of origin's coming. Um, well, I've been praying, and so have you, that whoever we got, that God would be the God who gives us our leader. And are the co There were over four million people who pre-voted, and I was one of those. So I didn't think we'd have a result yet. So do we have a result? Still being, it's not clear, but we're still, we think it's going that way. Okay. Well, God is still on the throne and God is still in control. And that's where our focus must always be. Whether it's a coalition government or a Labor government or a whatever government. I also assume there'll be far more independence um, I'll ask somebody later. You can tell me about Clive Palmer and how many seats he got and <laughs> all of that. Um, <clears throat> our focus this morning needs to be on the sovereignty of God and obviously this passage will take us there. My wife has been away all weekend. I don't think that's why I'm feeling the way I am. Uh, but she'll be back today. She's been on a teacher's retreat. And I think what's weighing on my mind more is I got a phone call from the nursing home in Naranda about my dad and... So I've got to go down there and see him. So that's going to happen this week. I haven't booked a plane yet, so that'll be interesting. That's a prayer point for me, that I find a cheap flight, <laughs> if there is such a thing. So I'll fly to Sydney. I'll probably pick up my daughter and granddaughter and we'll probably drive to Narendra. Either that or I'll fly to Wagga, one or the other. We'll figure that out. So I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect I won't be back next Saturday for the men's retreat. If I am, then I'll go on the Saturday as I intended. So I'll wait and see. Please pray. Uh, I've got to go down for a family conference. They've changed some of his medication and that's having some effects. And so we have to make some decisions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, sovereign Lord, you're the ruler of the nations. You're the ruler of our nation. And you've been pleased to grant to us a revelation in your word, the Bible, which clearly reminds us that you're the God who is not only on the throne, but you're the God who watches, the God who will judge, and the God who wants to save. I pray, as Brendan has prayed, that you would be pleased to speak to us by your spirit, through your word, speak truth into our minds. And may this truth guide us and steer us as we follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Everybody said? I want to read to you the first part of that chapter. Uh, and that'll come up on the screen. And then we're just going to work our way through the passage this morning the boys and girls are doing down in kids' church. is Genesis 6 to 9. So it's the whole story of the flood and then uh, Noah coming off the ark with all of the animals and the repopulating of the earth and so on. So there's, I'm sure you've read the story before, but I encourage you to read it again and meditate upon it because there are some interesting patterns that I hope to point out to you. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. 
And they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal flesh. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made humans on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled so the Lord said I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord he found grace back in the 16th century apparently the only toy that boys were allowed, or boys and girls were allowed to play with on a Sunday afternoon on the Lord's Day was a model copy of Noah's Ark. And they would bring out, the, out of the Ark these little wooden animals and play with them and line them up in pairs and march them in and then, I guess, pretend to have the flood and all that was the only toy. We all know the story. We've read, had the story read to us as kids. I was raised not in a Christian home and I even had the story read to me. And You've seen pictures of it. You've seen cartoon pictures of it. There's lots of things. I can remember a, um, a boat that's shaped a little bit more like a U and it's got this lots of animals with their elephants and giraffes with heads sticking out of it and thing looks like it you know, would fall over at any second. It's nothing like what the ark was like. The ark, is, as the scripture gives it to us, is, what, 300 cubits long? It's beyond Hope House. Um, it's 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Some people, when they read the Bible, read Genesis, when they actually get to that ratio of those numbers, they, their interest is pricked because they suddenly realise that's the exact right proportion, width to height. To length, well, I'm not sure about length, but certainly width to height, to be the most stable ratio that you can have. And even modern carrier liners, the big oil rigs out on the oceans today, are built with that same dimensions to it. How could Noah have known that? I've always imagined, and I haven't been able to find if it's true or not in the, in the scriptures, but I imagine it this way, that Noah built the ark, you know, in his backyard. He's not near the ocean. He's building it on dry ground, is my imagination. Imagine the ridicule that that would have brought. And he's not building a little dinghy in the backyard. He's building a flopping great big boat. At my house, we don't have a backyard, so I'd have to build it in my front yard. It would go from my front door to the street, across the street, across to my neighbour's front door and then I've got to build it all the way down the street. That's a big boat, huge boat. Well, I want to say, and if you haven't picked up already, this is not fiction, it's not fable, it's not a children's story, it's true. It's happened in space-time history. This is something that Jesus certainly refers to and accepts it and there are little clues through this that it was such a significant event that it's even, this has got to come out of Noah's journal. 
He's even dated it for us. The exact day that he went into the ark, and the exact day when you know, the rain stopped and when the waters were increasing, when that stopped and when the waters went down and how long that took and when the ark landed and how long it took for them to get off the ark. And you can date it, you know, measure the, the length of time. It's a wonderful story because, again, typical of the scriptures, there's a balance between God's justice and God's mercy. Where sin increases, where sin abounds, the Bible tells us, mercy abounds. That God's mercy meets his justice when confronting our sin. Well, let's jump in and we want to begin at chapter 6, verses you know, 1 to 4 particularly. There are some difficulties in here, but this is a, a very sad commentary about how we got off track and even God was disappointed with it. He even said, I regret that I did this, that he made everything. I regret that. They're strong words. That God saw at the end of Genesis chapter 1, God saw everything that he had made and it was very good. Now God looks on the earth and he sees everything is wicked. Everything has gone pear-shaped. In Genesis chapter three, uh, 2, we find... Uh, three, sorry, there is the beginning of a sin with an individual, then it's the sin of a couple in a marriage, and then it becomes the sin in a family, chapter 4. In chapter 5, it's the sin in a generational line in society. And now in chapter 6, sin has spread and it's infecting the whole world. That's the progression of our story. And we read this very unusual, and so there are various interpretations. The sons of God, who are they? So the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. So we're talking about multiple marriages like Hiram's beginning or something like that. But who are these sons of God? Well, some people want to suggest that the sons of God are the descendants of Seth, that's the godly line, and the daughters of men are the daughters of Cain. So you've got godly people marrying ungodly people. Uh, That's a reasonably common view. I don't think it's the correct one, but very good commentators maintain that view. Um, The reason I struggle with that view is because how many people went on the ark? Eight. None of Noah's family outside his wife and three sons and their wives are on the ark. Where are all the descendants of Seth if they're a godly line? They perished. So they likewise were affected by this sin. God judged them. 150 years ago, I did a study on Genesis very carefully and I added up all of the years and dates and I mapped it out. And I may have got it wrong, but my recollection is that Noah's dad and Noah's granddad, Methuselah and Lamech, perished in the year of the flood. Did they die in the flood? Well, they entered the ark on the second month and on the 17th day. So there's a month and a half for them to have died before the flood came. But it is an unusual statistic. But it's... Anyway, so that's why I don't think that's a correct interpretation. I have probably... This was a more traditional view and I still think it's the correct view even though it's weird is I think the sons of God is referring to angels and they're fallen angels. And the reason I hold that view is because A, it's the word that's most commonly, sons of God refers to angels in the Old Testament. And there are some strange references in Jude and Peter to this instance 
where angels left their proper domain. They crossed the boundary line. And with whatever it means and with whatever was going on, the offspring of this union were what is called the Nephilim, the fallen ones. And that they were incredibly violent and very famous. These are the heroes of old, the warriors, the men of renown. And that I think because either demons possessing people, having children, or some other weird way that I do not understand, um, there is a, an increasing amount of ungodliness, of violence, it says, has just increased and it's become so bad, God has got to do something about it. And what does God do when he deals with a situation like this? He doesn't take half measures, he deals with it. But in the midst of this darkness, grace is found. That's the message of the Bible. Though these people had stepped out and though things are becoming much worse, God was still on the throne. God was still at work. God was still patiently achieving his purposes. He starts again. And in fact, God in his grace, by the way, this is the first time grace is, I think, mentioned, favour, in the scriptures not the first time it's been there we spoke about grace last week you can see it in genesis chapter 3 you can see it in genesis 4 and here it is noah particularly found favor found grace verse 8 in the eyes of the lord um, god graciously gives a warning he says in verse 3 my spirit will not contend or strive or protect whatever with humans forever for they have flesh they're mortal their days are going to be 120 years that's not a limitation on their age that we will not live beyond 120 years i think what it is is god saying from now there's a 120 year warning it's a deadline 120 years from now i'm going to judge this world i'm going to destroy everything with the exception of those who repent and believe and get onto the vessel, the ark, that is going to save them. Um, God's giving time for people to repent. And in the midst of all, and the reason God did that was because God saw that every intent, verse 5, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, everyone, every inclination was only evil. Continually. God looked and what he saw, God is the only one who can see our imaginations. God is the only one who can read our minds. He knows our thoughts. But he does. He knows us. And in this particular case, in this particular time of the world, everybody had become depraved. It was just a, a terrible time to live. Imagine being a godly person in that environment. You think it's tough living in this society. <clears throat> Way worse back then. So what did God do? Well, he's going to punish the guilty and he's going to pardon those who repent. And the one exception that God finds on the whole planet is this one guy with his family, Noah, who found God's favour, God's grace. Um, notice he found it. He doesn't earn it. He receives it. Um, and Noah not only found God's grace flowing out of that grace because he was a righteous and a blameless person, he walked with God like his great-grandfather had done Enoch he walked with God one step at a time I want to talk a little bit about that in a moment and Peter tells us Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years preachers judgments coming it's 
building an ark. People are laughing. Some people want to say that it hadn't rained up until this point. Well, I'm not sure that's the case. Um, but either way, Noah's preaching, building, 120 years, got the support of his wife. It was, would have been costly. Certainly would have taken him a lot of time. I assume he had help. Certainly his sons would have helped him. I don't know if any others helped him or not. But he would have been the ridicule. He would have been the butt of jokes. And he maintained the course. He walked with God. A preacher of righteousness with no converts. Nobody believed him. 120 years walking with God. He's a man who stands alone. And verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6, as Mel read to us, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all people on earth had corrupted their ways. The world that God was going to destroy was being destroyed by us. Society was being destroyed by humans, and that's why God destroyed it. In the midst of that, with that plan in mind, God still offers a way of escape. So too for today. Notice God has only ever done this once in human history, that he's wiped everything out, but he will do it again. And people sometimes today even say, why doesn't God step in? Why doesn't God stop this? You may have said that yourself. I know I have on occasions when something terrible happens, something you can't explain happening, you think, God, why did you allow that? What's, what good's going to come out of this? And we struggle, but the that's the reality. God is patient. God does allow these things to happen, but not forever. There will come a day, like the song that we sang about, the trumpet will sound, the Lord will descend, and he will destroy the earth. And that time he'll destroy the universe. And then he'll make a new heavens and a new earth. And Peter, in fact, picks up on this, that when people say, oh, where is the promise of his coming? You know, it's nonsense, he's not coming back. Everything goes on like it always has. Peter says, they deliberately forget the story of the flood, that there was a time when God stepped in, when God destroyed everything, and he's going to do it again. So Noah is this one exception, with his three sons and his wives and their wives, a living example to that generation, probably far from the sea, I imagine, builds it of wood that God directs him to, cypress wood. I don't know a lot about timber, but I read... Um, the, the timber that Noah builds the ark with is what the Vatican has as their front doors of some of their buildings. And the front doors of the Vatican have been there for over a thousand years. In other words, it's timber which endures. Some people, in fact, say that they have seen Noah's ark or they've found Noah's ark or their drones have gone over it or Russian planes in World War I have done it. I can't remember the year, but just recently, like 10, 15 years ago, there was a Hong Kong company. They went and they took a video. They found the ark and they got on the ark and they're measuring it. Heard that? Yeah, I don't think that's true. If that was true, that would be international news. I think it was, in fact, that last one was uh, shown to be a fraud. So here is this ark built of this long, enduring timber covered with bitumen or pitch of some sort to make it watertight, three decks with rooms, with cabins, massive structure. And the wonderful thing is that through the chapter, on numerous occasions, I counted five, six and, chapter six and seven, 
And Noah did everything that God commanded him. Noah did everything that God commanded him. And back then, certainly no one would have the excuse, I didn't know the flood was coming. When you get to chapter 7, we have God giving very clear instructions to Noah, it's time to go into the ark. You, your whole family, I found you righteous in this generation. Take with you two pairs of animals and seven of the clean ones and two of all the other ones, male and female, take them in. Gives him seven days notice, fill it up. I assume, did you notice in the reading, some people often ask, how did he get all the animals? They came to him. Two of every kind, of every kind of animal, 620, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. So God brought the animals to Noah. I assume that happened over that 120 year period, over those times, and I assume he had a zoo. He looked after them somehow. And then he probably took, you know, the young ones, the small ones, the average size. People get all worried about how many animals are in the world and there's something like, people have done these, uh, 18,000 different sorts of land animals and birds and all sorts of things. And that's today. Let's double it and say it's 36,000 that, you know, with ex- extinction and things like that, animals have died out. And then one person said, just double it again, make it 75,000. Well, the ark, by the same calculation these people have worked out, could take 125,000 animals. There was certainly enough room on that ark for hundreds of people, but only eight went. There would have been room for food, particularly if the animals were vegetarian back then. It's possible, not sure. Certainly they needed a water supply. They would have had somehow to store bodily waste somewhere because there's only one door and that was shut. It's watertight. It's locked up. Eight people locked up for uh, 370 days, I think it is. These animals would have built a relationship with him. They would have become like his pets, wouldn't they? Yeah. So God explains to know exactly what he's going to do and how he should do it and so on. Notice there's only one door in the ark. The ark is a bit of a picture like the Lord Jesus. There's only one way in. That's through him. And this ark was, this door was up high. The windows which went around the top were up high so that Noah couldn't, God shut the door and locked him in so Noah couldn't open the door to the screaming and the knocking on the, the thing for people saying let us in. He couldn't do it because God shut the door. The windows were up high and I suspect part of the reason for that is going to be so that Noah and his family can't look down and see the destruction of what's going on. God's preserved him from any way he could look up is up. Would have been dark and for 150 days, well, for however long, certainly 40 days and 40 nights it rained. So it was overcast and dark. And the Bible says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but it also says, and the, not only did the windows of heaven open, but the, uh, the depths opened up. You're talking about tsunamis and some sort of... It's the reverse of what God did in Genesis chapter 1. Remember the earth was covered with water, and then God separates the waters above from the waters below, puts a firmament in between. Now God is getting those waters from above and below and pushing them back together again. He's reversing creation. I'm sorry that I made them. The result? 
everybody and everything drowns. And yet God is a God who tells us and his heart is that he has no pleasure in the death, death of the wicked. He doesn't want to do it, but he will do it because he is just and holy. And the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that we can expect it to happen again as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days before the Son of Man comes. And Jesus goes on to talk about how people are marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. People are going about their normal daily lives oblivious to God. I think that's the point. It's a bit like our world, isn't it? And God in his grace has placed us here in order to be salt and light, to be an influence. Raises up Terry and sends him amongst this community of people for them to hear the message. No excuses in the time of Noah. I didn't know it was gonna, the rain was coming. I didn't know. Everybody knew. So too at the end. People will be without excuse. Well, what do we learn from all of this? A couple of quick things before I race through 7, 8 and 9. There is a limit to God's grace. It's wonderfully large and he is incredibly patient and merciful and has been to us. But there is a limit. In Noah's day, it was 120 years of warning. In Jonah's time, in Nineveh, it was 40 days. 40 days from now, if you don't repent, God's going to wipe you out. They heard, repented. We don't know how long it is today. But we are told, we do know that it will end. And we are told, um, Acts 17 says, we know that God has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed and is given proof of this by raising him from the dead. God has fixed a day and we are moving towards it. Judgment day is coming. We have a job to do. So the Bible says now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We don't know how long we've got. As far as I know, God alone knows this. I don't know where my dad is spiritually. To the best of my knowledge, uh, which is very limited, I don't know, I don't think he is in the kingdom. And I hope I'm wrong. Because God is merciful and God understands things that I do not. But there's no evidence that I can see. So this week, I think God is being very patient with my dad as he's let him live a long time and he's heard the gospel a lot and I'm not alone there are many of you who have family members and loved ones and exactly the same there are limits to God's grace Noah was a man who stood alone and I, that's one of the things that certainly challenges me out of this we need to be a people who stand apart from society you've heard this, you know this we all want to be loved we all want to be liked nobody wants to be rejected or ridiculed that's normal. But the reality is that if you follow Jesus, you are going to be a little bit ridiculed and a little bit rejected and not liked as much because you follow Jesus. You're going to be on the receiving end of some jokes. And the pressure for you will be not to stand alone, not to be true to God, but to compromise. What do you do at work when your colleagues are telling off-colour jokes? And it's really funny. 
What do you do? It's difficult, isn't it? What do you do when you're at a family gathering and the family who aren't followers of Jesus, but they are gossiping and attacking and they're being very... What do you do? You can't join in. You shouldn't join in. And if you have joined in, then you need to confess and repent, put it right, and ask God to strengthen you to help you do it again. Somehow Noah stood strong, God's grace in him. And it says, I think significantly, he was able to stand alone because he walked with God. Chapter 6, verse 9. To stand alone in evil times, you have to walk with God. Absolutely necessary. It's possible. Noah did it. Enoch did it. We're instructed several times in the New Testament to walk in the Spirit, to walk with God. And to stand alone is achieved by walking with God. Noah did these three things. Number one, he believed God's word. When God said, I'm going to do this, Noah believed it. Secondly, he gave complete obedience. Whatever God wanted him to do, he was completely obedient to it. As I said, I counted about seven times where that happens in chapters six and seven. And then he endured. It was a long obedience in the same direction. 120 years maintained the course, regardless of outward circumstances and regardless of whatever people were saying. It's a remarkable example set for us. Listen to God's word. Completely obey what we understand God to be saying and to keep on doing it. Just as an aside, I read during the week, you check yourself out with this. We listen to something like, or we watch, um, where is it? Oh, I forget. So many hours of TV a day. Over three, three or four hours of TV a day. We watch at least one movie a week. We read the Bible once a week on Sundays in church. Read it. That's it. Who is having an influence on your life? TV, three or four hours a day? I don't know, something like that. Watching a movie each week, playing video games. Nothing wrong with any of those things, they're all fine. The point is, that's the input that's coming into our lives and minds and it's not being offset or fed by the scriptures. And we need to be people of the book who are saturating ourselves with God's word of scriptures. I'm not saying, just read your Bible and don't watch TV, just read your Bible and don't watch the movies. I'm not saying you read your Bible and don't play video games. What I am saying, watch TV, go to the movies, play video games and read your Bible every day. And if you forget or you get busy and it doesn't happen, don't beat yourself up. Just read it tomorrow. Just pick yourself up and keep doing it. If you miss a meal, I occasionally miss meals. I miss lunch used to on a regular basis you just get busy doing things i don't stop eating because i missed lunch you do it again don't you well at night you have a bit extra <laughs> you don't do that with your bible pastor once said to me i need to stop sidetracking a uh, pastor once said to me and i've shared this with some of you over different times and 
in pastoral counselling situations or whatever. He said to me, when I heard it, I was like, what? He said, if you can't read your Bible Monday to Friday, then on Saturday and on Sunday, read chunks of it. And I thought that was nearly heresy when I heard that. And now I've spoken with so many people who struggle with reading their Bible on a daily basis. Well, take that pastor's advice. If you can't read it Monday to Friday, overdose on the weekends. However you do it, listen to God's word. Stick it in podcasts and you know, download it and listen to it. Saturate yourself with God's word. As God took Moses into, uh, nowhere into his confidence, said, this is what I'm going to do. So the Bible is God taking us into his confidence, saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is how you should live. Last thing before I wrap this up. I would like a dollar, just one dollar, for every time I have spoken to somebody and they've come to me and they've said, you know, my marriage is in trouble or I'm struggling with this in my life or this is going wrong. And Question, how are you spiritually? How's your Bible reading? Answer, just one dollar for every time I've been told this. I haven't read the Bible for weeks or months. Oh. You know they're connected, don't you? It's like nourish, spiritual nourishment. gives you the ability and you get God's wisdom to help you deal with marital difficulties and with personal crises and with issues that are going on. Let's be a people of the book and let's read it. It's God who says to Noah, go into the ark. And it's God at the end of, uh, in chapter 8 who says, leave the ark. Come in, go out. Notice that's the same pattern of what Jesus does. Come to me, go and tell. It's interesting. Come to me first. It's a pattern that I just picked up on a notice. And there is a one, if you read through the pat, uh, six to nine of Genesis, then you will find that there is this remarkable pattern that it's there. God gives Noah seven days um, to get onto the ark. Then it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the water rises for 150 days. Then for 150 days, the water goes down. And then for 40 days, they uh, are sending ravens and something out. And then for seven days, I think it's the dove goes out. It's the seven, the 40, the 150, the 150, the 40, the seven. There is this pattern. And in 821... Why did God send the flood? Because of the wickedness in the world. In 8.21, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma from the altar that Noah had built. And he said, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though or because every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures. Why did he judge it? Because every inclination of the heart was evil continually. Why is he not going to do it now? Because every inclination of the heart is evil continually. It's God's mercy. Now, one object lesson only, and that was the flood. That's enough. It's enough for everybody to know. And then God gives a promise. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, won't cease. That's God's promise. We live in a world where there is, a, and politically it would have been affected in our election, about uh, climate change. And I'm not a climate change denier, 
so don't hear me saying that but in the midst of it's our responsibility to look after the creation but God has said as long as the earth endures sea time and harvest cold and heat summer and winter day and night will not cease it's almost like if we abuse the planet God's got to do something because he said it will endure so we need to take our responsibilities but not lose our heads Noah comes off he builds an altar and then in chapter 9 God says from now on all food all animals will be for food he introduces the death penalty which hadn't been there before and God makes a wonderful everlasting covenant with himself to Noah he's going to put a rainbow it's a covenant when I married Rondra I entered into a covenant with her and the the symbol of that the commitment of that is a ring and God entered into a covenant with Noah with all of creation animals as well and the symbol of that is a ring of which we now only see part of the ring the rainbow but in heaven in Revelation chapter 4 remember around the throne there is a rainbow the ring the covenant promise of God that he is the one on the throne that he is the one in control and that we need to look to him there is only one ark because there's salvation only through one means jesus just like the the flood is also peter picks up it's like baptism it's through the water from judgment through the water to new life what does all of this mean for us well it certainly teaches us these chapters that man is bad god chose and saved those who believed in him noah with grace God judges the world and God restarts. That's the pattern he will follow again. Let me say these five things and compare. In the darkest times, grace can be found. Look for God's grace in the midst of the darkness. Number two, God sees our, the imagination, the thoughts of our hearts. He knows our minds. You can't hide from him. He knows us thoroughly. So we ought to be honest with him, open. God always thirdly offers a way of escape even with temptation there is a way of escape you need to look for it there is a limit to God's grace it's now available but it won't be forever and we like Noah need to stand alone for God in this world it's necessary it's possible because he did it and Noah stood alone because he walked with God we need to walk with God he believed God's word he obeyed God's word and he kept doing it, persevered 120 years. The story ends sadly because he's a sinner. And you can read that for yourself. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless you and thank you that you are a God of grace, a God who extends mercy to the guilty, for those who repent and believe and receive, we find a, a wonderful new relationship and a wonderful new experience in how to live. Lord, help us to be obedient to your commands and to your heart that other guilty sinners need to hear that there is a way of escape, there is a way to be forgiven, there is a way home. Could you help us, please, like Noah, to walk with you to hear and read, absorb your word, to obey it. And Lord, to
to keep doing it, not to stop. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Thank you for your word and for your spirit. Your will be done, Lord, in us, through us, for his sake. Everybody said, Amen.